Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in you, it's all about the present. It's about the now, not yesterday's presence, but new presence for today. Father, we just ask, God, that you fill us with your spirit. Renew our strength this morning. Father, help us, watch over us. God, cast away every distraction right now. If there's any worry or anxiety, God, we lay it at your feet. God, we lay aside every every part of ourselves, all of our doing, all of our strengths. God, we come with weakness, depending on your strength, oh God. We come to you knowing that, God, that we don't have it all together. So, God, as we're here today to hear your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give me a spirit of gentleness and wisdom to speak your word. And I pray for the audience, I pray for the hearts, that they'll be receptive to receive and to hear your message, to hear your voice this morning, God. And I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O God. Watch over us. Be the center of everything that we do this morning. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We give all glory to you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in my prayer. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. So now the title is called, repeat all together. Ready? One, two, three. You are never too young. Again. You are never too young. Turn to your neighbor and say, You are never too young. young. Amen. Now, is there any mention about our age, when to follow God in the Bible? No. Does it say wait until you're 60? No. In God, it's never about later when it's convenient. It's always about the now. When you're young and able, serve the Lord. When you're able, when you hear the call of God at any age, you respond in faith. Even think about Mary at such a young age, at the age of 13, around there, the teenage age, when she received the call that she'll be blessed, that she'll be so blessed. But again, she was at a young age when she received the call and the blessing of God. And the Bible says that no matter how old or how young you are, to have the scripture, to have the word of God in your heart, right? In Joshua 1.8, it says, keep this book of the law always on your list, meaning you have to study the book of instruction continually. You have to meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do. Do is action. Action. Everything written in it, then you'll be prosperous and successful. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you'll be prosperous and successful. So in Deuteronomy, we've talked about Deuteronomy, where we had the message with the Deuteronomy generation. It gives guidelines on how kings should be. Qualification, you could say. Standard. Guidelines. And in that, let's just go over just what it says, just so that we can have a broader and a sharper perspective and understanding of the message today, that you are never too young. Again, Josiah is a king. I'm not going to spoil the age, not yet. But let's just understand the standard of kings. It has no mention about age, but gives the standard of how kings should behave. When you enter the land, it says in Deuteronomy 17, if you have the Bible, turn there. Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20, it says, When you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, You are to appoint over yourselves the king whom the Lord your God shall choose. Appoint a king from among your brothers. You are not to set over yourselves a foreigner who is not one of your brothers. 
But the king must not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire more horses. For the Lord has said, you are never to go back that way again. He must not take many wives for himself. What the kings do later, they had many wives. Solomon had many wives. Many of the kings had many wives. It says, you must not take many wives for himself, lest his heart go astray. When you have many wives, that's a sign that the heart of the king has gone far. It has gone astray. Just like for me, in the past when I was younger, when I realized that I was backsliding in my old habits was when I started listening to secular music. That was one of the red flags for me in my own personal life. Now, everyone's different, but here it says, let that be a sign. When they have many wives, let his heart go astray. It's a sign that his heart has gone astray. He must not accumulate for himself great amounts of silver and gold. When he is seated on his royal throne, he must write for himself a copy of this instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. What is the instruction? It's talking about the word of God. It is to remain with him. And he is to what? Read from it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this instruction and these statutes, then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. And he will not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left in order that he and his sons may reign many years over his kingdom in Israel. It's saying if a king was to remain faithful, if a king is going to last long, then what do they have to do? They have to what? Not turn to the left or to the right. His heart cannot be exalted among his countrymen, but they must observe the word of instruction, the word of God. They must not turn from it. In order that he and his sons, that they may what? Reign in many years over the kingdom of Israel. So if you want to be a good king, if you want to be a king that lives long, then you have to follow these guidelines. You have to have the word of God in your life. You have to study the word of God. So going back to the genealogy of Josiah, it starts off, do you guys know who his great-grandfather is? If you know, you're amazing. Stop it, Andy. You're pretending again like you know. Your phone's not there. There's Hezekiah, and then Vanessa, and then Amon, and then Josiah. Josiah is the main character but Hezekiah was a good king. Right? He did good things for the Lord. But his son, Manasseh, did really evil things before God. And after Manasseh, his son, Ammon, did even worse things. He followed the ways of his father. And then Josiah comes into the picture. Let me just tell you a little bit about Manasseh. Manasseh, it says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Think about it, 12 years old. Imagine when you're 12 years old, you become a king of a nation. He became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. And it says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practice of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places. His father Hezekiah had demolished. Remember Hezekiah, he did good things. He demolished it, but he rebuilt it. He worshipped it. He also erected altars to the bells and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord has said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts and the temple of the Lord, he built altars to the starry hosts. 
He sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought armies, consulted mediums, spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Now that was the legacy of Manasseh. Let's talk about Ammon, the son. Ammon. It says he was 22 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem two years, very short. Ammon followed the example of his father Manasseh, and he was worse. And they both abandoned the God of their ancestors, the God of creation. And they refused to follow God. They refused to follow the Lord's ways. So now, let's get to our main character. Main character for today. And Josiah, he comes into the picture. And there's really nobody like him. When you write the name Josiah, next to it, in parentheses, write nobody like him. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 1 through 3, let's all read it together. And it talks about Josiah. Ready? 1, 2, 3. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the Lord of his father David. So how old was Josiah when he became king? And Tony is like searching, searching, searching. <laughs> Eight years old. How old was Manasseh? His grandfather, 12. Even younger than his grandfather. And what did Manasseh do? What was his legacy? He did what was evil before God. But it says, Josiah was 80 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So the context of this situation that's happening in the time that Josiah is living in, morally, politically, spiritually, the nation of Judah and Israel, it was a mess. And it was such a compromising time, that it was a confusing time, that they were literally smacked right in the middle of the storm. There's Assyria, Babylon, there's Egypt. They were all fighting to become number one power horse in the nation. And the nation of Israel and Judah, they were smack in the middle of it. And that's where these kings come in. First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. It's a story of what's happening here in this context. So to have an idea of what it's like to be eight years old, right? That's second grade. Do you know an eight-year-old? When I was seven, I came from Korea to America. I mean, that's a very young age. I remember crying in the airplane. Right? I rarely cry, but I remember I, I clearly I was crying because I missed my friend. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to move to a new country. I remember like, I was like, why do we have to move? Why do we have to move? Meaning I was very immature. But in 2 Kings 23 to 25, it says, Never before there had been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart, soul, and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there has never been a king like him since. So before we get to our main points, let me ask you a question. And I want you to ask this question to your neighbor. What is your spiritual age? Turn to your neighbor and ask them, what is your spiritual age? So what was Josiah's spiritual age? 
Again, only God can judge our spiritual age. God can be the judge of that. But definitely, he was not eight years old of his earthly age. His spiritual age was so mature. His physical age, yes, he was young, but spiritually, he was a giant. Physical age does not determine our spiritual maturity. If you look at even Jesus himself at the age of 30, until at the age of 33, such a young age, in his early 30s, he made such reform, he changed the whole nation, he changed the world. At such a young age, he went against Pharisees, Sadducees. He went against these older individuals who was corrupting the character of God, the presence of God, and Jesus came into the picture. He went against these individuals. Jesus was humble, yet was confident in who he was and why he has come on earth. And Jesus was that individual. His spiritual age was beyond his physical age. Physical age and maturity has nothing to do with our spiritual age. I'll say it again. Physical age and maturity has nothing to do with our spiritual age. So here are some signs of spiritual maturity. Some things that we can go over. Number one, it's not about you. It's not about you. The person who has rich spiritual maturity is not preoccupied with the self. But instead, it's always about God. Meaning you don't come to church for entertainment purposes and for your own pleasure. You know that it's not about you, but it's about God himself. Number two. You choose the servant route. You serve others. It says in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever, ever. Amen. You choose the servant route. Servant leadership. You serve others. That's number two. That's a sign of spiritual mature individual. What is number three? Ready? One, two, three. You look vertically. Not horizontally. You don't compare yourself to others. You compare yourself to yourself. You look at your mirror and you're saying, my competition is the person that I'm staring at. You have to stop comparing left and right, looking at what others are doing. Because you are living your own life. You are walking the journey of your own individual life. Therefore, you must look up vertically. What does that mean? Look up to God. Don't look down on others, especially those who are tall, right? I'm not saying physically, yes, you have to look down, but... You know, like Saul was tall. It was a head taller than everyone else. So he lived his whole life looking down on people. But as individuals, as Christians, just because we get to a spiritual place and we are in a higher level, we cannot look down thinking that we have made it and people are under there. Look up, look up, look up to God. What is number four? Ready? One, two, three. You are not deceived by fleshy teachings, by false teachings. 1 John 4, 1 says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. What's next? You hate sin. You hate sin. You hate sin every day. That's your goal. 
you hate sin, you realize you cannot continue in your sins anymore. You cannot continue to indulge in your evil desire for evil. You go and you sin no more. You hate it. You hate it with passion. You cannot continue to do it any longer. That's a sign of a spiritual, mature individual. What is number six? Justice awakens. We talked about this. You have a sense of justice, a sense of doing what's right. You cannot stand wrongdoings. People being taken advantage, people being wronged or being wrongly accused, you start to hate any injustices, injust things that are done, the evil things, nor do they take advantage of the weak. It says, blessed is a man who does not walk, right? Who does not walk. This is one of the missions, Bible verses that we had to memorize. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but his or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. What is number seven? Love. Love. You have love. You love not only God, but you love your neighbor. You love the people around you. Number eight, you enter the presence of God. Ready? One, two, three. Repentance under the banner of truth. You are always honest before God. No matter what sins you have committed, you come with a repentant heart. Yes, at the end of the day, we are all hypocrites. We all fall short of the glory of God. It says that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. But you come with repentance. You enter the presence of God in repentance. And the last one, number nine, is what? Thankful always. Thanksgiving. Always, a heart of thanksgiving is a priceless heart to have. You're not thankful for all the blessings that you have, but you're thankful for the breath that you have. It's not about the possessions. For God gives and he takes away. But you have this attitude that no matter where I am, no matter what season I'm in, God, that I am always going to be thankful to you. So these nine things, it's not all, but these are some signs of spiritual mature individuals. So how many of these can you check? How many? Do it yourself. Reflect on it. Am I here or am I there? If you're not, it's okay. Because it's all about progress. It's all about maturity. It's all about growing. It's all about getting better every day, day in, day out. Every day as tomorrow hits, you love God more than you did today. As tomorrow hits, you hate sin more than you did today. Every day you're being sanctified and renewed. You're becoming more and more in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. So those are some signs of a spiritual mature individual. So what is your spiritual age? Going back to Josiah. What was Josiah's spiritual age? Physically, yes, he was eight. Physically, yes, he was young. But spiritually, he was a giant. And you're going to see just what Josiah does. And what he does is pretty amazing. I mean, literally, really, like just to be in this context during this time of having a lineage of his grandfather just being so evil and his father being so evil. Imagine if your grandfather was Hitler and your father was Kim Jong-un. Like, what's like, that's in my blood. Like, father like son, right? The world will tell you. But what Josiah does is pretty amazing because he really shows that it's not about your age. It's not about what family you come from, but it's about pursuing God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and God will bring reform, not only in your life, but to the people around you. And in this case, he brought reform to the whole nation of Judah. As a king, God used him in such a mighty way. 
So three points for you today. Number one is this. Josiah was not a sellout to his godly convictions. I'll say it again. Josiah was not a sellout to his godly convictions. Josiah was not a sellout to his godly convictions to people, but he kept his convictions pure and holy before God. A lot of times in our lives as Christians, we want to keep our personal convictions more than God's convictions. But God's conviction should always overshadow your own personal convictions. For some of you, I believe that God is pushing you right now to live a holier life. Now, I don't know what that is. I don't know what kind of habits that you have. It's only God knows and God sees and only you know about yourself. There are certain things, certain sins that we indulge in. But God pushes us to live a holy life, not a life indulged in sin and compromises. That's why for me, you won't find me ever right, to smoke a cigarette once in a while or a cigar, drinking, clubbing. There are different things that we dive into. There are things that we get into, compromise that we get into. But again, Josiah was not a sellout to his godly convictions. Josiah's convictions, it brought about an action to live a holy life. Just to take away the action words found in this passage is that he began to seek. He began to purify. These are some of the actions. Remember last week, what is repentance? It's not just about, it's an act of emotion or just emotional feeling, but it's an act of change. And he says here, he began to seek. He began to purify. He started destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, the carved idols, cast images. He ordered that the altars of Baal be demolished, broken down, smashed, scattered, burned, destroyed, crushed, cut down. It goes on. He purified Judah and Jerusalem. He repaired. He entrusted the money to the men. Remember, he was not controlling the money. He entrusted the money to the men. And again, Everything was fair. He was not in control. He wasn't taking it under the table. There was no shady business. All the workers were treated fairly. It says he entrusted the money to the man, not greedy for money. He hired, restored the workers, meaning he knew that he couldn't do everything. Everyone had to come together and work together. The workers served faithfully under the leadership. The officials were doing everything they were assigned to do. They inquired more on the words written in the scroll that had been found. They've been doing everything wrong. No wonder. It is now time to do everything the scroll says we must do. Meaning godly conviction. It leads to change. Repentance. Hence the action word that's found in chapter 34. The Bible is very clear. That the word of God is alive and active. It says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. So the moment they found the word of God, what did Josiah do? He ripped his robe. Why? Because during that time, that was a symbol of repentance. Just like when we repent, we go on our knees and we pray. We don't have to go on our knees, but it's a symbol of humility. They will go and rip their clothes. When he heard the word of God, his life was never the same. Meaning you must find and study and meditate on the word of God. The book, again, was hidden. Just like a lot of us, our Bibles is hidden and we use it as coasters for our drinks. 
We have so many Bibles to access and to read, but we don't study the Word of God. The book was hidden, it said, but the book was found. And after Josiah had found it, he was more desperate for God's Word. Most likely, it's the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, how cool is that? Because we just talked about Deuteronomy. We talked about Deuteronomy, the standard for the kings, and, and they'll go ahead and they find the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, it, it's pretty amazing how God just makes everything happen in, in its right timing. He was at the age of 26 when he found the word of God. He read and he turned it into action to bring about change. We have so many access to Bibles at our fingertips. The question is, how are our lives affected by it? You have to ask yourself. Examine your life right now and you have to repent. Verse 19 tells us that when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. Meaning it was a symbol of repentance. It's not just feeling sorry or it's an emotional thing. But it's something that he brought into action. Josiah was, quote unquote, a good man and wanted to do good things. But being good is not enough. Before he found the word, before he found the book that was hidden, he did good things. He started destroying all the Asherah poles and all the bells, all the shrines and all the things that was detestable in God's sight. But when he saw the word of God, he repented because he realized how far he has gone. That being good is nowhere close compared to God's holy standards. Meaning there's a huge chasm between our expectation of good, what we think is good, versus God's expectation, his standard of holiness that he calls us to be set apart. Josiah wanted to show his people that God was a holy God. The next question I want to ask, where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you right now? Examine it. Compare it to God's word, to his holy presence. Compare it to yourself, to who you were yesterday, to who you are today. Compare yourself. Where are you in your relationship with God? Number two, Josiah's private convictions were the same as his public convictions. As Josiah was faithful in his private life, he was faithful in his public life. As Josiah was faithful in his private worship, Josiah was faithful in his public worship before God. Josiah was that kind of individual. What you see is what you get. He was a man after God's heart. He was a man after God's word. And who else do we know in the Bible that was a king that was after God's heart? King David. It's just like his father David. He followed the Lord. Not according to his grandfather, Manasseh. Not according to his father, Amen. But he said he followed the way of the Lord. And he was faithful in his private life as he was faithful in his public life. Inside out, outside in, he was that kind of king. It says in 2 Kings 23, verse 21 to 25. It says, Josiah, he celebrates the Passover. Now just before we go ahead and read this, what is the Passover, guys? What is the meaning of Passover? What happened during Passover? In what country, what nation were they under? When Passover happened. Yes, Egypt. And what happened? They put the blood of the lamb on the door frame. This was the final plague. And if you had the blood of the lamb on the door, then the spirit of death, what? 
passed over, and therefore you had life. But for those who did not have the blood of the lamb, they were dead. Their son was dead. Their child was dead. So they go ahead, and Josiah, he celebrates Passover. And why is Passover important for us as Christians? Because years later, we see Jesus, the ultimate Lamb of God, who died on the cross. He shed his blood for us. And if we have the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives, the spirit of death, in the same way, it passes over us. And we have life. We are no longer dead. That's what Passover is. So Josiah, he reads about the Passover. He reads about it in the book that they found in Deuteronomy. And it says, Josiah, he celebrates Passover. 2 Kings 23, 21-25, it says this, King Josiah then issued this order to all the people, everyone. You must celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as required in the book of the covenant. There had not been a Passover celebration like that since that time when the judges ruled in Israel, nor throughout all the years of the kings of Israel and Judah. I mean, think about it. That's so sad. After Solomon, all the kings after, until Josiah came into the picture, there's never been a Passover like this. But in the 18th year of the King Josiah's reign, the Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Josiah also got rid of the mediums and psychics, the household gods, the idols, and every other kind of detestable practice, both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. He did this in obedience to the laws written in the scroll. The Hilkiah, the priest, had found the Lord's temple. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart, soul, and strength, obeying the laws of Moses. And there's never been a king like him since. What did Josiah do? He got rid of the mediums, the psychics, the household gods, the idols, every other kind of detestable practices. What did Manasseh do? He consulted mediums, witches. You know, guys, you see funny stuff on TV with people doing Ouija boards and tarot cards. You see when you drive by or you see psychics and people who go through tarot cards. Avoid it. Actually pray when you drive by. Know that these are things that the Lord hates. And these are things that the old kings of Israel, who are God's people, Those are the things that they dived into. And they were found evil before God. 2 Chronicles 35 goes on and says, Josiah announced that the Passover of the Lord will be celebrated in Jerusalem, all people. You see multiple times in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles goes back and forth because it's about the same kings, because it talks about the kings. So I'm going from 2 Kings 23 to 2 Chronicles 35, and we see that everyone played their role and everyone played their part. Levites, priests, busy from morning to evening, musicians, gatekeepers, other Israelites were present in Jerusalem. And it was a ceremony, entire people of Israel, the entire ceremony for the Lord's Passover was completed. Meaning what Josiah as king offered to God, it was never half-hearted. Never. There could be no middle ground. As we seek spiritual renewal, strive to purge sinful practices from our lives. His private, his public, it was the same. And he declared it to all people. To all people. 
It wasn't just for himself. Last point, number three. Josiah lived well and finished well. Turn to your neighbor and say, live well and finish well. We all know the legacy of Usain Bolt. Uh, he's still pretty amazing, the things that he has done. He came into the picture from Jamaica, uh, caused a scene, and the whole world, they paid attention to this man. And we saw his last race. We don't know what happened to his leg, but obviously he couldn't finish. Doesn't take away of all the great things that he has done, but we also understand that just the way that we start is just as important as the way that we finish. And there's something that I need you to reflect upon as we're in the final months of this year. We're in November, we're hitting December. We have to reflect back to this year. It's not just about how we began or the journey, but it's about how we finish. And Josiah, he was really like, kind of like Batman, right? A little bit. Like his father was murdered and he had all the reason in the world to be angry at life. You know, his grandfather was a mess. He came from a very, very broken home. Everything about his life was a mess. So rather than using pain, Josiah, as a way of his reason to rebel against God, Josiah, he maintained faithful throughout the rest of his life. I Meaning he finished well as well. He finished strong. He finished strong. Second Chronicles 34, just to, just to reflect back on what we said earlier. He began to seek. He began to purify. Destroying the pagan shrines, the astral poles, the carved idols, cast images. Ordering that the altars of Baal be destroyed, demolished, broken down, smashed, scattered, burned, destroyed, crushed, and cut down. Purifying Judah and Jerusalem, repairing, bringing the Passover back. He continued to live for God. And do things for God. He lived with godly conviction. He didn't only live well, but he finished well. Second Chronicles 35, 18 to 19, it says this. Never since the time of the prophet Samuel had there been such a Passover. None of the kings of Israel had ever kept a Passover as Josiah did. Involving all the priests and Levites. All the people of Jerusalem and people from all over Judah and Israel. This Passover was celebrated in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. At the age of 26. And we see that later that Josiah, he dies in battle. You know, Josiah had finished restoring the temple, it says. And he goes to battle and he dies. And in this battle, it's a kind of sad story because... They're going against Egypt, and the king of Egypt said that, we're not here to fight you, just let us go and fight the other nation. Uh, God told me this, and Josiah, he didn't believe that a king of Egypt will hear from God, but we don't know for whatever reason, uh, Josiah, he was overconfident, or we don't know why. He didn't listen, but he went to battle. He disguised himself to go into battle, and he said an arrow came was shot and it killed him in battle. But at the end of the day, you know, he died swinging. He died fighting for the Lord. I had a professor in seminary, a Chinese professor, taught systematic theology, just an amazing guy. You heard that, Ronnie? Chinese professor. He had a very heavy accent and everybody loved him. But the way he passed away, and I was still taking his class, and the way he passed away was he was at church, he was giving a message. I mean, he was a pastor before he was a professor. He, was, he always preached with passion. He was preaching. He had a heart attack, and he passed away. 
and he died and he went swinging. And that's how we should go down as well. We should go down strong. We must finish strong. It's not just about living well, but it's about finishing well. Second Chronicles 35, 18-19, Never since the time of the prophet Samuel had there been such a Passover. None of the kings of Israel had ever kept the Passover as Josiah did, involving all the priests and Levites, all the people of Jerusalem, and people from all over Judah and Israel. This Passover was celebrated in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. And I want to ask you this as we close. Three things. Number one, how will you finish? Number two, will you finish well? Number three, what will your legacy be? Turn to your neighbor and say, what will your legacy be? How will your story play out? No, no, you don't have to say it. And these like League of Legends? Legacy? Okay. Anyways, what will your legacy be? How will your story play out? We have one chance, one life. One life, one chance in this life. And how will you finish in this life, this one life that God has given you? That is something that we need to reflect upon, something for us to really think about our lives. You're responsible, remember, you're responsible for your life. No one else can take responsibility for your life. You're responsible for your actions. You're responsible for this generation. I'm going to say that again. You're responsible for this generation. Don't just be an audience. Sit back and look and do nothing. Stand up for what is right. Do the right things. Make the right decisions even when others don't see. You cannot live mindlessly. You cannot live like you're lost. We must live with a purpose as Josiah did. He found the word of God and he put it into action. Not only for himself, but he made sure that the whole nation of Judah followed after God. And what an amazing man, boy, king he was. I mean, just from a broken family, broken everything. But he did amazing things for God. And I'm closing with this. You may be saying to yourself, but you don't understand what my life is like or what my family is like, what my children are like. Again, going back to Josiah, Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, let me just go ahead and read again just so that we can remember just what happened with the story of Manasseh. His grandfather, Manasseh, he was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem. Fifty-five years he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practice of the nations of the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made astral poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, which the Lord has said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed to his children. In the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens, consulted mediums, spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. That was the legacy of Manasseh. Now what was his father like? Amen, it says this. Amen was 22 years old when he became king. 
And he reigned in Jerusalem two years. And the Bible says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The same line as it was used for Manasseh. It says the same thing with Ammon. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. As his father Manasseh had done. Ammon worshipped and offered sacrifices to all the idols Manasseh had made. But unlike his father Manasseh, he did not humble himself before the Lord. Ammon increased his guilt. Meaning Ammon was even worse. Ammon's officials conspired against him. And assassinated him in his place. Then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against King Ammon. And they made Josiah, his son, king in his place. They both did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Just like his father had done. He followed the example of his father. Worshipping the same thing, same idols his father had worshipped. They abandoned the Lord, the God of his ancestors. They refused to follow the Lord's ways. Their end, Ammon's officials conspired against him and assassinated him in his place. Their end was death. Josiah goes ahead. He has children. This is his children, Jehoaz, 23 years old. He becomes a king. He says, the Bible says he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Just as his ancestors had done. He was put in prison by an Egyptian pharaoh and became Salah. He became a Salah. He died in Egypt. His other son, Eliakim, 25 years old, was installed not by God, but by Pharaoh as a puppet leader of an Egyptian ruler. Egypt, again, the Bible, Egypt represents the world. Pharaoh changed his name to Jehoiakim, and the Bible says he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. I mentioned their age right now, and they're all in their 20s when they began their kingship, because your 20s is such an important age. Many of you, you are in your 20s, and you think it's the prime of your life, a prime time to party, a prime time to spend your time around, going around until you settle down, but that is the greatest lie from the enemy. The truth is you need to stop wasting your life or spending it as if it belongs to you. You have to remember that you are bought with a price. The price of God's one and only son. The shedding of his blood. Your time is now. It's now or never. So again, the question, what will your legacy be? Will it be one Never before had there been king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart, soul, and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there has never been a king like him since. Would that be your legacy? Never a king like him. Serving the Lord with his heart, soul, strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. Would that your legacy be? Or, Will your legacy be on the opposite end of the spectrum? He did evil. He or she did evil in the Lord's sight. Just as his or her ancestors had done. Like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. Daughter, like father. Doesn't matter what family you come from. It doesn't matter what your family has done or how broken your family is. When you turn to the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will live and you will leave a legacy 
that no one can take. But you need to seek the Lord right now. You need to seek after Him. You cannot be distracted. Do not allow the devil or the enemy to tell you that you are not good enough. But you may be saying, oh, you don't understand. You don't know what type of family I come from. You don't know what what I'm like at home, what things are like at home. But here's the reality. No family is perfect. Every family is broken. But it's about you seeking after God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The ball is in your court, gentlemen. The ball is in your court, ladies. It's your decision. It's your life. It's a decision that you have to make for yourself. Where where will you stand before God? How will your story play out? One life. One chance. The time is now. The time is now. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. To seek the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do not use your age as an excuse. Do not use the school, the situation that you're in as an excuse. Maybe when I finish school, then I will become serious with God. Maybe when I got married, then I'll become serious with God. Here's the reality. If you're not going to choose God, if you're not going to be faithful now, then it's, it's most likely we won't be faithful later, for tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. Today is a day while you still have breath. In your 20s right now, use this time to serve the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Josiah came from a broken family. He had a terrible grandfather. He had a terrible father. But yet he held on to the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not only for himself, but he made sure that the celebration of Passover, the message of the truth, went to all people, to all the nation. He said everyone in Jerusalem, everyone in Judah came together to celebrate this Passover. And never before has there been a Passover like this. So right now, the ball is in your court. The decision is yours right now. Can we just humble ourselves and turn to the Lord at this time? You don't have to shout. But in the quietness of God's presence, in the stillness of His presence, I want you to respond to Him. God is calling you to holiness. He's been calling you. This whole year, He's been calling you. Do you not realize that? Everything has been leading up to this moment for you to turn to the Lord, to realize that in God that you are a new creation. If there's any lie of the enemy, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. You are a new creation today. Do not be hindered by your family or the situation of your home or where you come from. Look to God and God will make you. He will make you grow and He will keep you faithful. You have to be faithful to God right now. Be faithful to Him and He will take care of all things. Look to Him. Trust Him. Hold on to Him. Desperate.